Welcome to Archives for Aliens, the podcast recorded for future life on Earth, planet Earth, consciousness, creativity, the nature of reality, cool people making things, and life outside the box. What makes you tick? This week's guest is here to talk to us about the myths that make us. You may have heard him before on his own podcast. I'm excited and pleased to present this awesome conversation with Eric Godsey, who's a coach, writer, blogger, and ferocious reader who knows just so, so much knowledge about psychology, uh, especially Jungian psychology, which is definitely one of my favorites. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about all things related to being a creative being. Why being creative is one of the best things that probably all humans can do to feed their soul. Or if you don't believe in a soul, feed your vessel. If you don't believe in your vessel, feed your body. Anyway, we're going to jump right in here and get into the conversation. All right, I see um, what looks like a earth split apart down the middle, almost like it's two puzzle pieces, and then one part was moved to the right and the other part is moved to the left, and left in the middle is this new hole. And it seems to be that when something cracks open, it reveals the hole and the fullness underneath And it reminds me of, it makes me think of the human heart, metaphorically, that when it breaks open, you realize that um, there is something behind it that is whole, that can hold all of it, that can see all of it. And uh, that's what I see. That's beautiful. And how do you think this relates to something that you'd like to share with the world today? Mm, Wow, what a fucking good question. Fundamentally, uh, I think one of the biggest um, obstacles for people when it comes to healing, uh, specifically psychologically, but also biologically, because if our psychological state is constantly stressed, it can make us physically sick, is that we're unwilling to feel fully what wants to be felt. And one of the keys to being able to feel fully what wants to be felt is to cultivate a practice where you get to connect to what the Buddhists called awareness or the watcher or the witness. And it's that fundamental aspect of your psyche that is the thing that witnesses all of the emotions. It is the thing that witnesses your life. It's not your ego, it's not your stories, it's the light of consciousness itself that is able to see and hold it. And like my work and my research on trauma, on depression, on anxiety, and fundamentally as a coach, you know, every stage of life that people get stuck at is one of the most illuminating questions is, 
uh, what wants to be felt that you're not allowing yourself to feel or that you're not allowing yourself to look at. And there's a bunch of practices that we could talk about if we want to, but fundamentally um, connecting to that force inside of you that is able to bear witness to everything. Trust it and then allow it to hold and to witness whatever it is that your squishy little animal body is asking it to hold. Like it feels that one of the biggest uh, ideas that, that functions as a virus in the spiritual community is this idea of positive vibes only. You're a human. It's not just positive. You feel sadness and terror and shame and guilt and anger and all those things let yourself witness it because if you look away from it it begins to grow and fester and uh, you have to create coping patterns to avoid it that can lead to you fucking up your life and am i allowed to curse on this podcast yeah cool yes yeah so that's my answer Uh, i think that's a great answer um I'm definitely a really big believer in feeling it all. That's evidenced by all the art behind you. Like one (sighs) of the things that I really think is like a fundamental part of being a healthy human is to have some type of artistic expression. I think it's a fundamental part of all human nature to create like the act of creation um, feeds the soul. And it tends to be that artists tend to feel a little bit more than uh, those who have cursed their souls by telling themselves the story that they're not artistic because it's a lie. I'm also a huge believer in that. And I definitely want to dig way deeper into all of that um, because that's why why I reached out to you and invited onto the podcast. Uh, But before we get too deep into creativity... Uh, I want everyone to get to know you in a unique way. So the get to know you question is, what do you believe about the nature of reality? What do I believe about the nature of reality? I believe that the fundamental nature of reality is that it is a simulation that our nervous system is generating and that we cannot perceive beyond what our nervous system is able to generate or simulate. And when people say words like the universe, whatever it is that you imagine in your mind when you say universe, those are ideas contained within the simulation of your nervous system. Whenever people say the world, anything that you can possibly imagine uh, that that word means is a representation inside the simulation of your nervous system. Every dream you've ever had, every fantasy you've ever had, every imagination you've ever had, everything that you have ever experienced has, I believe, is a manifestation of the simulation of your nervous system. I believe that All the great myths, all the great religions are different attempts to articulate how to embody the characteristics that the saviors or the deities or the gods are described as having that are adaptive 
about how to be in a nervous system interfacing with the type of reality that we have on this earth. I do believe that there is an objective world out there, but that we will never make access to it directly, that it it impinges or put, has inputs for our nervous system that we've co-evolved to turn those inputs of photons and vibrations of atoms into adaptable categories like desk, screen, human, mate, enemy, food, water, but that the nature of reality that is absent of the human nervous system generating a simulation from it is unknowable, it's unperceivable, it's inarticulatable, and that that's okay that we seem to be doing a good enough job with the simulation that you're able to stumble through the infinite swirl of atoms and the void between each atom where you can last for 80 years or 90 years and you can fucking make art and you can make a fucking computer do the thing that you want it to do where you get to record a podcast. And so the Philosopher's Stone, like the, the most important thing to learn how to dance with is your nervous system. Do you know how to bring your nervous system into a place of safety? Do you know how to activate your nervous system in such a way where you can solve whatever problems that it is that you need to solve? Are you able to surf the powerful emotions that can dominate the nervous system? Like one of the things to really connect to is if your nervous system is the thing that is generating your experience of reality, and I think that you can make that as a scientific verifiable claim, is that when your nervous system gets activated in such a way where you feel rage, it literally feels like the universe has changed. And the universe is now resonating with the, vib with the vibration of rage. <clears throat> or when you're terrified. Or when you're in pain and you feel hopeless, the nature of reality feels hopeless. Like the whole universe feels hopeless. But it's because when we say the word universe, what we're talking about is our little dome that we've created with our nervous system. And I guess the thing that I'm trying to articulate is that out there that people think they're talking about when they talk about asteroids or moons or suns or space or whatever you are still inside the simulation of your own nervous system and uh you have the potential to be something like a god to that nervous system if you can learn how to regulate it but also and again the thing that i want to really make clear is i do believe in an objective world and i do believe that other humans are doing the exact same thing and if, if you run the I'm the creator of my reality in a delusional way, a car is going to run you over or someone else is going to punch you in the fucking face because you're acting like an asshole in Whole Foods. Like there are other people, but what you're able to perceive, that's your reality. And I don't think I don't I have not had a single experience that has given me evidence that you can ever get beyond it, but I will die one day and maybe I'll receive some information that disproves that idea. Man, thank you for that. That 
has so far been the most specific and scientific answer yet on the podcast. So congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it's interesting. That I think it's really cool that you brought the nervous system into it because that is the, the literal element of, well, what is reality? I guess whatever we're viewing out of it, you know. So I'm actually, I'm surprised that hasn't come up yet. The sen- Like the senses, the eyes, the... Right. Like, so are you familiar with the author Robert Anton Wilson? Mm-hmm. My favorite. I think he is a fucking genius and not enough people know his name. Mm. Uh, one of the things that he talks about is it's like, <clears throat> there's this uh, hedging of there's this um, enlightened man... <clears throat> I actually don't remember how it goes, so I'm not going to pretend like I know, but the essence of the story is there's this crazy enlightened dude who gets on an ox and he starts to ride through different villages. And I actually feel like I'm butchering this. He's not enlightened. He's a dude who's on an ox and he's walking through this town and he sees all these people looking up at him and I can feel that I'm slaughtering this. so I'm just going to stop. But the core of it is... um, we are like something that are that is riding on top of an elephant or an ox and we think that we're floating like we think that we're this godlike thing that can just move through nature and we don't realize that we're sitting on top of an elephant hmm. and the elephant is your nervous system your entire experience of everything that has ever happened has been mediated by your nervous system and we have pretty good science on to begin to understand what the nervous system is um, or at least how to interact with it in such a way to help it be vibrant and like alive and full. And there's so many examples of this, but just one is like, there is a psychotherapist that is regarded as like one of the best for healing trauma. I forget what her name is off the top of my head. I just found out about her recently, but her primary way to help people with severe trauma begin to heal is not to talk to them. It's to put them through a workout regimen that um, strengthens their posterior chain, which is like all the muscles in your back. So it forces you to begin to open up your chest and to have a quote unquote backbone and to really embody. And that she has found over 20 or 30 years of work that this is the most direct way to begin to help people who have suffered trauma. Because one of the core things that happens when you've been severely traumatized is there's this sense of hopelessness. And there's a constant feedback loop between the stories that you tell and your physiology of your nervous system. And one of the core things that you see with people who have been traumatized and what's super interesting to point out is the average American, because of the way our lives are structured, mm-hmm. is our shoulders are drooped forward. Our, our backs are arched over. We have the posture of a prey animal. We have the posture of a nervous system that's telling the story-making thing, you should be afraid, you are not powerful, the world is scary, you need to hide. And so... Th- I could give a hundred examples of how doing something specific to the nervous system can actually fundamentally change what the nature of reality, how it's experienced through your subjective life. Yeah. I mean, this is actually a crazy example. Um, I can testify 
to this one specifically, I was in a back brace that made me have to be super straight and tall. And like, Whoa. yeah. And I definitely noticed, I mean, I was going through a lot of different things, but I definitely noticed like I felt better. And I mean, like psychologically, like I did feel like more like, uh, right. Elevated. And I was like, why, right. you know, why, why was I hunching over before? Who knows? But that was the one good thing about being in a giant back brace that makes you become straight. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is how do you think creativity relates to being able to maybe speak with different parts of your nervous system? Mm. <clears throat> so one of our fundamental motivational drives, like one of the, we seem to be born into the world with a handful of what we would call emotions, but essentially what they are is we come into the world with pre-programmed goals. And like one of those goals is to feel safe. One of those goals is to use anger when we don't feel safe. One of those goals like sadness, anger, envy, disgust, happiness, etc. They're like these core fuels that we come with. One of them is also curiosity. And physiologically, curiosity is like it's if you can enter into a state of curiosity you can't be afraid at the same time you can't be angry at the same time it's this weird it activates a different part of the brain um and it seems to be that in order to be creative on some level you have to be willing to be curious and if you're willing to be curious you will allow yourself to experience parts of you that the non-curious person represses. There's a really interesting, like I truly have a fundamental faith in the psyche. Like I think that there is a living intelligence inside of us that is what an ocean is to a whale, our psyche is to our ego. Like it's that big and it's that alive mm. and it's just churning with this energy and it knows what the ego can handle. And so if the psyche can feel that the ego is fragile, it's like, oh, we can't actually help them remember that thing that happened because it would just destroy their whole life. It works like that most of the time. If you add some specific magic ingredients into your psyche, it might force you to remember shit maybe before you're ready. Hashtag <laughs> psychedelics. So do it responsibly. But... um the creative person is essentially the whale that's willing to explore the ocean. Whereas the non-creative person, it's just like, let me build a square box inside of the ocean and let me ignore the fact that there's an ocean and I'll just be in the square box, even though my fin's starting to deflate and I'm starting to feel this apatheticness coursing through my body <clears throat> and I don't feel quite connected to my fundamental nature to be an exploring creature, but at least I feel safe. And then the thing about creativity is you manifest in the world something that didn't exist before. And at least for me, 
like the creative process is one of the most humbling self-exploration tools because you're going to run into all of your bullshit as you try to make more and more demanding art. And like for me, it's writing. And so like I have to contend with all the parts of my psyche as I work through a writing project and no one can create for you. Like you can't really ask for help. You've got to do it. And I think that <clears throat> the curiosity and then the self-illumination of choosing to do hard shit are two things that creativity can do to help you learn about the different parts inside of you. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, too, it almost feels like I'm creating my own language. Yeah. That, Well, I mean... I guess that maybe that wouldn't be true if you're a writer, but it could be. But because I work a lot with nope. images, it's almost like I can speak of things to myself or process things that I couldn't otherwise process. Absolutely. Like for me, <clears throat> so you're doing a more fundamental type of art than what I'm doing with language. Like image is more fundamental to our psyche than language. And I think that that's a fact and we can go down why that is. <clears throat> but where you're creating a language, I'm creating stories, mm -hmm. you know? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm weaving worlds or reality tunnels to share with other people and people who work fundamentally with image, they are creating, like I think images are the language of emotions. And whenever you try to talk about an emotion, you're abstracting the emotion. But an image has the capability to directly transmit an emotion. And emotions are more fundamental to our nature than language. Yeah. I think it becomes really interesting when you start to work with images and pictures and stories. Or images and words and stories. All the dimensions. Absolutely. There's... Uh, I don't know if I'll get it exactly right, but there's this idea put forth by a psychologist that I really respect. And it's like um, the very first form of culture was um, imitation. So like way hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years ago, the first transmission of what would eventually become culture was imitation where some monkey did some action to get a piece of food and some other monkey was like, I'm going to copy that. And then the ones that worked continued to be acquired and the next generation imitated. <clears throat> and eventually the imitating led to like what the first forms of like ritual would be, you know, like the first monkey that used a stick to get a piece of food, maybe four or five or eight generations after that, they had some type of ritual where they honored a stick and they don't even know why they're honoring a stick, but it got passed down. Eventually that leads to like dancing, like doing things with the body that are a symbolic expression of the ritual that is an expression of the imitation. And eventually that leads to art well, eventually that leads to religion or to some type of spirituality. Like it's an embodied form of the rituals. Way later, does it even become articulatable? Mm. 
like articulation is like the last emanation of the you know russian dolls of culture and image like probably comes even before imitation because you have to be able to perceive to even imitate you have to be able to apprehend an image before you can even begin to imitate that's true that's a lot and we don't have to go further <laughs> down that's probably pretty close to the beginning of what we could discuss i would say right yeah. The last doll. <laughs> hmm. And in your opinion, why do you think people become disconnected from curiosity in the first place? So there's a couple of uh, reasons that first come to mind. One is, one of our primary programs is uh, conserve energy. Another one of our primary programs is avoid pain. And curiosity can lead to pain and curiosity can be expensive, like energetically expensive. And we live in a culture that has become competent enough where you can get away from a survival standpoint by not being curious. Mm. You know, 100,000 years ago, if you weren't curious, you would probably die. Like if you weren't willing to explore and do new shit, you would probably die. We live in a culture that is competent enough that it can create enough, enough comfort where people can get away with like, I'm not going to do anything original. I'm just going to follow the rules. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to go do what I think my mom and my dad want me to do. And once I do that, I'll go fucking get a job and I'll do what my boss wants me to do. And they'll just be my new mom or my new dad. I'll do that until I find someone who's willing to basically do this same game with me. And then we can stumble into having children, even though we really don't know how to connect or be intimate with each other. And I'm just going to keep my fucking head down and keep working until I get really sick. And then maybe I'll review my life. Maybe I'll start to be curious. But if I'm not willing to be curious, I'll probably die by the time I'm 50 or 60. And I think that it's, it's scary to be curious because fundamentally what curiosity will bring you to, my belief, is that um, every single one of us has this whisper inside of us that is whispering who we could be if we stop doing all the bullshit that we know that whisper is asking us not to do and we start doing all the things that we know that that whisper is asking us to do and that in order to begin to listen to that whisper you're going to have to do shit you're afraid to do you're going to have to do things that will probably hurt and you're going to have to die to who you are <clears throat> so you could transform into who you could be. And it's terrifying because if you do that, if the people around you also live lives where they don't listen to that whisper and they've just put their fucking head down and they've just trudged through the matrix, when you start to listen to that whisper, they're going to be mm -hmm. upset. And depending on their coping behaviors and what they've gone through, there will be varying degrees of upsetness. The easiest is that they just might not want to talk to you. And, they, and some might be outright hostile to you. 
And it really feels like it's because like, no, fuck you. You can't go do that because that means that the justification that I've made for my life for the last 40 years might be wrong. And I cannot look at that. So I'm going to label you as a crazy person or as um, someone who's bad or wrong or stupid. And I'm going to get rid of you. And so there's this thing that I see a lot uh, as like a coach is as people begin to say yes to that whisper inside of them, they feel lonely and they might feel lonely for like six months or a year or 18 months. But the thing that I constantly tell them is, and and it's because this is what my life felt like for a long time. If you don't listen to that whisper, which is essentially your conscience, I like the word daemon, and there's a whole long reason why. I just but, read um, um, Soul's Code. Great fucking book. Exactly. So so you are on the same page as me when I say the word daemon, but I'll just say conscience or whisper for right now. If you live a life where you're not in alignment with that, you're essentially not in alignment with yourself. You're not in truth with yourself. And because you're not in truth with yourself, you don't know how to be in truth with anybody else. And you're essentially a out-of-tuned instrument that has aggregated other out-of-tuned instruments because you all have the same coping Mm. patterns. Like my friends in college, I wasn't even able to be intimate with them because I didn't know how to be intimate with myself, but we all drank. So they were the buddies or they all smoked weed and then played Halo with me afterwards. Like we had the same coping behaviors to not look at life. Once I started to try to listen to that whisper, we didn't get along anymore. And the metaphor is as you begin to tune your out of tuned instrument, your untunedness coming into tune will sound out of tune to all the instruments that had tuned themselves to your untunedness so you will sound like the weird fucked up one but the beautiful thing is that if you can walk that path for six months or 10 months or a year you will eventually find someone whose tunedness now resonates with your truth and you will have the opportunity to have your first real friend as an adult And then once you get one, it gets easier to get two. And once you get two, it gets easier to get three. And if you can walk through that dark night of the soul, um, there are allies waiting for you. And one of the gifts of the internet is that if you use social media consciously and intelligently, it can be the thing that brings you to your tribe faster than anyone had the opportunity to before the internet existed. One of the things that has really been alive in me lately is I think social media is the new Mm. fire. Like when we first discovered fire, if you didn't know how to use it, it could destroy your whole fucking village. But if you learned how to use it, it gave you light at night. It gave you heat in the cold. It helped you cook food. And it could be actually used to clear space to make homes. I think social media is a lot like that. We do not know how to use it. And if you don't know how to use it, it can fucking burn you. And I think that a lot of the mental illness is exacerbated by not knowing how to use this new fire. But if you know how to use it, you can fucking find your soul tribe 
in a month. You can use it to create a business where you actually help people and you feel good about the amount of money you make and how you make money because you're not fucking trying to trick old people into insurance claims because they clicked on the wrong fucking website. That's what I used to do before I got this job. And it's also a place like where if you use it intelligently, you can learn anything that has ever been known by any human ever. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the internet itself could almost be thought of as a new form of consciousness. But it's just 100%. like a little baby right now. So it's testing things yep. out. We're working it out here. And what's interesting is to me, it, it actually feels like mm. it's a teenager. So it, fe it feels like it was a baby when it was first born in like the 80s is I think when the first network started to come up. Um, and now with social media, like there's just this intense anger and it feels like teenagers are the ones that like are really fucking angry because they're trying to find their yeah. identity. And really what the internet feels like is it feels like it's now a tool that's allowing us to be able to witness what the collective conscious is. Like Carl Jung, I'm actually wearing a shirt with his face on it right now. Um, he w he's, he's my spiritual grandfather, but uh, he was a Swiss uh, psychologist slash uh, psychiatrist that came up with a lot of amazing ideas. But one of the things that he talked about is that we have a collective conscious. Like there's a single conscious that all humans grow out of. And it feels like the internet is allowing us to be able to see for the first time in history, like how that thing is operating. <clears throat> and it feels like our it's our self-awareness started as baby consciousness in the 80s. And now we're in this weird teenager stage where we don't know who we are, but we're becoming mm -hmm. more aware. And we know shit's fucked up. And we know that we wanna fight against stuff. And we know that we want to be something, but we just don't know what it is yet. And there's all this angst. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it also reminds me of being in middle school or a teenager because we're looking at everyone else constantly and trying to copy our lives based on what we're seeing out there, which is very much what I think of teenage years. Yep. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. I know in my experience of, I guess, going through these times of death, uh, person, you know, death of your, the person that you are and becoming a different person, I found it really important to have surrounded myself by people that don't necessarily care what version of myself that I am, like people that can be that open-minded to withstand different types of me being me as long as it's still honoring the core of me wow i love that yeah do you know what i'm saying because i've had friends in like different stages of life and yeah we don't connect over that same wasn't video games but whatever that kind of thing that we are connecting over but they're still like i can call them on the phone anytime and they're there for me kind of a thing yeah what's interesting is we definitely like meet people along the way where the vibe with that friend is it's like, I know you and I aren't playing the same song. 
Yes. But I love you. And if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. But I know that we're not like that. Our lives won't be interweaving with each other because we're just not playing the same song. But I see you. I know you see me. And whenever I see you, you know, it's going to be like it's going to be like we, we, we just picked up exactly where we left off. But you know that they're not going to be one of the core instruments in the song of your life. Yeah, I think they're such key transitional people. Um, they may not be like your friends yep. and in your tribe, but they can be like what I would think of as like the cheerleader. Mm. Yeah. And what's really interesting, something that I constantly share with people who uh, don't feel like they have a large enough audience to share anything authentic or vulnerable. And it's like all of us have people from high school that we might have no idea, but they're paying attention because we made some type of impact on them that we might have no idea of and hmm. they're watching. And you might post something that is truly authentic about something that you went through and how you got through it and they're going to read it and it might change their fucking life. You know, so like I bring that up to say like we also have some silent cheerleaders who are afraid to voice themselves, but they're watching and they care. That's true. That's a totally weird thing with social media. But yeah, I've never, I've never thought about it exactly like that. But yeah, you never know. You never know who, who you're helping these days. Right. I think the idea of conscious social media is so important too. Yeah, and it's one of those things where um, it's not easy. Like, it's probably the hardest dragon that we've created for ourselves so far. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's uniquely humans that have the ability to fucking destroy the entire world in one hour. Like, we are strong enough that if our stories got twisted enough, there's like, I don't know the exact number, but there's more than 10,000 hydrogen bombs on the fucking planet and only takes a couple to fucking just rupture the whole thing. So I say all that to say, um, social media, if used unconsciously has the ability to fragment us into more and more intense tribal cultures that hate some other type of tribe that, um, are willing to justify the use of violence in the name of whatever their righteousness is. And that type of belief system escalates to war it escalates to genocide. And I see it all over social media, like people on the left, people on the right, people that believe this thing about food, people that believe this thing about food, people that believe this thing about the pandemic, people that believe this thing about the pandemic. The echo chambers that the algorithms on the social platforms whose job it is to sell your attention, so they're invested on keeping you on the platform as long as possible, so this is mainly like Facebook and Instagram. Um, the algorithms are written in such a way where they just want to maximize your time on the device. And they know that if they can either get you super angry or super fearful, you're going to stay on it longer on average. And so we've just devolved into all these echo chambers of these really severe beliefs where like people are willing to fucking ruin someone's life if they think that they're on the quote unquote mm -hmm. other team. But like, if you're looking at the game the right way, 
like we're team human and what we're fighting is our own shadow nature because we are not doing the earth any favors right now. Uh, we are not doing our farmland any favors right now. Our medical system needs help. Our mental health system needs help. Our school system needs help. And I hope to see a new generation of social media apps that see the devastation of the current algorithms and envision and create more beautiful ways to wield this fire so it doesn't fucking destroy us. Yeah, I think, I know for me what helps and maybe other people could connect with this idea too, but remaining in the frame of the creator mindset helps me think most of my time in social media is thinking about what can I send out into there. I love that. Yeah, yep. that will help. <laughs> or share an idea or just share something I'm excited about instead right. of all the looking at, you know, what what everyone else is sending out. I think, yeah, it's another a metaphor for where creativity, it puts you in the place of being the person taking steps, doing action, um, yeah, causing your own change. 100%. Like to go back to the nervous system thing, we've evolved essentially to hunt. And like our nervous system is wired emotionally to want to be hunting something. And then the act of hunting something and feeling like we're making progress towards that hunt, that's actually what tells our nervous system when to feel good. And when we're not making progress on that hunt, that's, that's what tells our nervous system when to feel bad because it's trying to keep us in alignment. And if you think about hunting for a moment, it's likely the imperative of, of hunting that instilled in our consciousness the idea of the future. So humans are unique in their capability to essentially not do something they want to do now so they can have a better future. No animal seems to have this type of awareness where they're able to sacrifice in the moment to have a better future. If you think about hunting, like most of most of our time hunting in our evolutionary past, we don't see the animal right away. We're tracking the animal. The animal is literally in the future. Our food is in the future. The thing that's going to save our tribe is in the future. And we have to track it in this moment. And when you study motivational psychology, uh, it seems to be what regulates our emotions most effectively is do you have a clear vision of the future that you want to create? And do you feel like you are making even 0.1% progress towards that vision today? And if the answer is yes, you feel positive emotion. If the answer is no, you feel negative emotion. And because we're such complex creatures, we can, like most people have a like four or five or 10 different ideas of their ideal future None of them they've consciously articulated to themselves, many of them uh, in conflict with each other. And so their nervous system is all like, like it doesn't know, it doesn't know what is the feedback that it's doing the right thing. And I think a lot of our anxiety and our depression is essentially like a miscalibrated nervous system. 
and the creator like is a fun it's 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 so wild but again to connect it back to our harvest system we've evolved as both prey animals and predator animals and when you're creating you're essentially in quote-unquote predator mode and that's a compliment that your nervous system feels like it's the alpha quote-unquote for lack of a better word because you are looking at your environment to see what you could transform from it as opposed to what a prey animal does is it looks out in the environment to basically see what does it need to fear where does it need to hide and it's, it's incredibly stressful to be in a constant state of prey mode but like the predator again for lack of a better word like the creator is going out into the world to make transformation and what they find is that when you're in that type of physiological state you're more resistant to uh trauma you're more resistant to like what they call severe adverse situations and um it works Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense um, because even if you don't know what you're doing while you're in that state, your nervous system does. It, you're giving it that signal that things are safe. That Right, and you might not know what you're going to create, but you know what you're doing in the moment. And it's, I'm, I'm looking for inspiration. Like, that might be the fundamental difference is, are you looking for things to feed your creativity or are you looking for reasons to be afraid and to hide or reasons to be angry or reasons to feel guilty or reasons to feel shame? Mm. Like what's really interesting is my roommate shared this technique with me that I believe was called the Alexander technique. And the way it was presented was ask yourself this question without trying to answer it a bunch of times. And the question is where do I feel ease? Where do I feel ease? And you don't try to answer the question with your mind, but as you ask your psyche, where do I feel? And then whatever emotion, your psyche generates it. It's, it's, it's like a hack of the system because within your psyche is every emotion that could possibly be felt. It's already installed in you. And if you ask that question, it can bring it forward, especially if you ask it over and over and over and over again. I think that that's an insight into how our minds work. What are you looking to find? Mm. You're likely to find that thing. And if you're looking to find a specific emotion, you might just motherfucking create it. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that that happens a lot, for sure. And I do think that the more you create an emotion or a story or anything like that, the more you drive down that roadway, the wider the road becomes. It's kind of how I think about thoughts being as roadways. And yeah. like, if you want to start down a new train of thought, you kind of got to start with this little pathway and it's small, but then like the next time you go down, it, it gets a little bigger and a little bigger. And you know, in no time you've created a whole highway. I love that. And that's like, I, I love art so much because like fundamentally, at least the type of art that I'm cultivating is like, I'm trying to groove my brain to apprehend majestic beauty, like awe inducing, 
tear flowing beauty and i'm just making that highway larger and larger and larger Mm -hmm. yeah i love it yeah awe awe is where my paintings come from for sure um i do engage in other types of creativity and i would i would probably almost call everything in my life an art project at this point no matter what it is it's I'm coming at it with the attitude of an art project. I love it. <laughs> yeah, what's fascinating about awe is that um, physiologically, awe is... Okay. One of the key markers of feeling awe is goosebumps. And physiologically, what goosebumps are is like your skin is trying to make your hair stand up on end and in our evolutionary past that was to make us look larger that was a defense posture that our nervous system took in the face of a predator the really wild thing about awe is awe seems to be that something has just occurred in your experience that both feels terrifying and fascinating that there's this element of awe of like the thing before me is much greater than me. And like some people's response to awe is to be prey. And other people's response to awe is to be an artist, you know, and to create from awe feel like it, it feels like one of the most courageous and healing archetypical actions that humans can take. Like, so much of my writing comes from awe as well. Hmm. I've actually never heard anybody else say that. That's interesting. It's cool. I, I'm an awe chaser. I am too. And sometimes I wonder, like, can I even stop? <laughs> There's a quote by Carl Jung that I love, and it's like, the creative person is a person possessed by their daemon. They are not a free person. They Mm -hmm. have to listen to that voice. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I help a lot of people connect to that voice and start to speak with it, but it is hard for me to understand how they have a choice. So this is what's really interesting. I wrote... Uh, Instagram post I think two days ago where I was talking about what the creation of Adam the painting by Michelangelo meant to me and you see you know the first man lying on his back all nonchalant and his finger is just like not even trying to make contact with God and God is reaching and extending and trying to bring his finger to make contact with Adam I believe most people are terrified to admit that that voice even exists because to admit that it exists is to uh, is to essentially say my free will is not what I thought it was. My free will is I can either choose to listen to this thing or I can eat the consequences of running away from it. Yeah. That's a, that's a good summary. And that I think like grace is what happens when someone in faith surrenders to that whisper inside of them. Mm. 
Like how fully can you courageously embody that whisper? To the degree that you do that, I think you get more grace. Yeah, I think faith and belief and trust in that and in yourself is a huge component too. And the beautiful thing is, and I'm sure that you felt this, but you only have to walk in faith at the beginning. Because once you do it a couple of times, you're like, oh, wow, this fucking works. Wow, when I listen to this thing, it fu- my life is better. Even if I fail, I feel better about myself. The people that matter the most in my life can see the type of person that I am. I trust myself. I love, like, your life gets better. And so when I first started on the path, I had to walk in faith at the beginning. But now it's just like, it's not even faith. It's just like, my life is better when I listen to the whisper, period. It's better. And when I don't, it's not. It's super clear. Do you ever find yourself getting disconnected from it? Yes. Um, Well, I don't know if I feel disconnected from it, but I still like will ignore it. You know, like I had an experience a couple months ago when I was sleeping with a woman and the voice was, you shouldn't be doing this. And I was like, I've already started. I'm not going to stop. Um, and it's not like the world crashes down and you get hit by a thunderbolt and you get cancer and you die, but you can feel, okay, I don't feel good about how that feels now that it's over. I heard the voice clearly. Um, and I think maybe because... I listen to it so often that I've, I have felt its connection consistently. Like I really can't recall a time um, in the last couple of years where I haven't felt connected to it. And I know that that's probably not relatable. Um, But for a long time, I didn't feel it, you know, like I didn't really start to feel it until I started journaling um, because journaling became the first place in my fucking life where I was able to tell the truth. Mm. And that really helped awaken that connection to that thing. And now I'm just at a point in my life where like, I've walked through the really hard period where you basically have to transform every relationship because you have to start to tell the truth. And because you weren't in truth with yourself before you weren't in truth with them. And it's really uncomfortable for a while but i've gotten to the point now where i'm in truth with all my relationships and it's so good feeling that i would rather have a hard conversation now than to go back to a point where there's anyone in my life where i'm not in truth with because fuck the quality of your sleep the quality of your creativity the quality of your thinking the quality of your physical health is so much better when you're in truth with everybody that like it makes me emotional to even think back to how I used to make my nervous system feel because I wasn't willing to be brave. Like I fucking destroyed myself for a long time uh, because I didn't want to have hard conversations or because I felt shame or guilt. Mm. I like the phrase in truth. Um, I think usually when I talk about something like that, I would call it being authentic, but uh, in truth almost is more specific. 
Yeah, so there's this really interesting idea that I've been playing around with. Uh, I just finished reading Jordan Peterson's most recent book, uh, 12 Rules for Life Beyond Order. And one of the things, I've listened to everything that he's recorded. I think he's a fucking genius. Um, And so I've heard him say this idea before, but it's this idea that, um, and he doesn't articulate it this way, but that the first step to connecting to that force inside of you is to not say things that you know are not true, which is different than saying the truth. And I'll explain. There are things that you know as you are fucking uttering them to another human. They are a lie. Stop that shit. Stop. Stop that shit. Uh, The idea is that whenever you do that, you are wounding your bond to that voice inside of you because you're warping the nature of reality. So basically, your intuition on some level is the animal intelligence that has been honed in your nervous system through every generation that has existed before you, but it has to relearn the world with each new body. So it has acquired wisdom, but it has to relearn the specifics of the world that your nervous system is in. And it's constantly gathering data with you. But when you lie, you warp the environment to be out of truth. Mm. And then the feedback that you get from other humans is it's wrong. It's not true information. And so it actually warps your your unconscious intelligence ability to understand what's happening. And so it gives you bad advice. Like you actually warp the nature of its advice giving when you lie. And so the first step is do not say things that you know are not true because every time you do, you wound that intelligence inside of you because it's getting inauthentic data. The next step is much harder, which is do your best to speak and act the truth. You don't know what your truth is, but you at least know what it's not. So don't say or do those things. And then your life is this constant honing of like, okay, how clearly can I articulate my truth? And the best way to do that is to continue to try and to watch what happens in your body and in the body of the other people that you are in alignment with. And God damn, the felt sense of a nervous system being in the presence of another nervous system that we can feel that things being honest even if it's saying shit that we don't want to hear there is something a part of us that's like oh my god i can rest oh my god i can just chill here for a little bit because we can just feel it's mostly out of fear but most people like whenever you say hi to someone if they answer right away and they're like good you're like oh we're not even going to have a conversation i know exactly what you mean about that like they're so uncomfortable that they don't want to be seen and i think that there is something that's like micro jolting about that it's like oh oh this is someone that is like afraid or resistant to whatever wants to be here and that like i think you heal your nervous system as you learn how to say your truth and you also um feed it authentic data like that inner voice inside of you could be your genius 
if you fed it the truth. But if you feed it lies, it, it can turn into a demon. And what's incredible is the etymology of demon actually comes from the word daemon. Daemon was first put forward by the Greeks and is this idea of your guardian spirit. And then there's a bunch of, um, it's likely that monolithic religions were like, oh no, you can't have a direct access to God. So we're going to say anything you hear in your head is a demon. So you have to come to us. But also what may have happened is when you ignore the daemon or when you transgress it long enough, it begins to feel demonic. It will fucking haunt you. Mm. The interesting thing I was thinking about going back to voice too is that we have most parts of our senses. It's like we have more than one incoming input, but voice, it's like there's just one, there's just one thing that come out. Every, everything's got to agree. That's really interesting. Everything has to agree. So I had a friend who did a mushroom ceremony alone and she did it with incredible intention and she made this huge altar. It was beautiful. And she had this moment where she was like contending with like four or five different parts of her. And she felt like as her mind started to like bring them into one cohesive whole, she just found herself going, Oh, and she could feel that it was them all coming into harmony. And I, I thought of that the moment that you said, like, whenever you speak, they all have to agree. What's interesting is if you're integrated. Okay, so people have different types of voices, obviously, but there seems to be like, vo like, it's so interesting. Everyone... Are you familiar with internal family systems? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for people listening, it's basically a psychological system that believes that you have a bunch of different personalities inside of you. You're not just one thing. But there is a part inside of you that they call the self with the capital S, and that's like your wholeness. Everyone has a bunch of different voices. But the more I work with people... You know, I call the higher or the self their king or their queen just because it makes more sense to me. But there's a voice that comes through where I instantly know, oh, that's your queen or, oh, that's your king. Like it's, there's a type of voice that integrates all the parts. And then there's all of our parts and they all have their own voices. Like our angry part has its own voice. Our sad part has its own voice. The part of the things we're not good enough has its own voice. Um, but if you get to a place of integration, your voice can be the king or the queen voice where it brings all those different parts together. Good luck. <laughs> I think it's interesting if you understood all that, maybe just start paying attention to when other people are talking to you. And I think when you can start to get a sense of their, the intention behind that and just go with your gut feeling on like, if that's the voice, I think you can, I could see it in other people, hear it, feel it. 100%. And I can feel called, I, I can feel that I am called to like try to write like a small essay or something about like how to speak in such a way to help you discover your truth. Um, because there's a book called Nonviolent Communication. Are you familiar with this book? Not this one. Um, 
it's not a great title, but a lot of really smart people that I respect regard it as like the best book ever written for how to have tough conversations with people you care about. But we have all these like habits and language that fundamentally keep people from even being able to access their truth because they're fundamentally like we've been programmed to normalize telling certain type of lies. So like a lie would be, you made me feel X. Like you might believe it's true, but I think that that's a misunderstanding about how consciousness functions. And like one of the rules of um, nonviolent communication is it's like, when you did X, I felt Y. It's not you made me. It's when I observed you doing this, I told this story and it generated this emotion inside of me. And it's like, if we were in truth, it would fundamentally tra transform the way that we speak. It would transform the habits and the patterns that we make in how we talk. And it's desperately needed. Yeah. That reminds me, too, of another phrase, uh, the, the I can't phrase. It's one of my pet peeves of life. Um, yeah. I'm always talking about how it can be I choose not to also, which is very empowering. 100%. Like very few things that people say I can't are true. Like you could say I can't lift that weight. Um, but you could even get more like my body is not yet capable. Right. And again, one of our primary functions is to conserve energy. Like it's our corest of the core pattern. And so, you know, I'm not advocating that people instead of saying i can't go saying because my car is in the shop and i don't have an <laughs> adequate amount of time to uber to the shop i'm choosing not to go but you could just say i'm not going or yeah thank you but i choose not yeah. to you know or whatever but the way we talk matters and we're programming our nervous system about what to expect from reality and what to even notice in reality through the language that we use. And what's wild is it's like the original books of magic were called grimoires. And the root of grimoire is grammar. And you literally spelled. Spells are spelling words. Like language is magic. Yeah. And I think there... I personally believe there's some other extra element of magic that comes when it comes out of your own mouth, especially like yeah. in groups. That's, I've been really interesting, interested in exploring the power of prayer and song lately. Of course, I decided to get interested in that this year. <laughs> Haven't yet gotten too into it in person, but I've been talking to people about it. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I've actually been called um, through the psychedelic space to really learn how to use my voice um, to help to use my voice in medicine space. So basically what happened was um, I held space for an ayahuasca circle last year and somebody had a psychotic break and uh, I ended up being the one helping her through it uh, for like three hours. And um, I feel incredibly equipped 
or at least I thought I was incredibly equipped to help people through almost any type of experience psychologically. And the thing I learned about 20 minutes in is she is in a place where no content of language is going to penetrate her energetic state. And I very clearly got the download. If I knew how to use my voice musically, I could soothe her nervous system, Hmm. but I didn't know how. And so then after that experience, which was incredibly humbling, uh, the next time I did mushrooms in a ceremonial space, I really got the download of like, learn how to use your voice in medicine space. And what's been really curious is this past year or this year, um, I've been working on this product that I'm really excited to release soon called the Dharma Journal and is an online digital journal that's going to use a lot of my journaling habits to help people do dope shit. But what organically grew out of it was I recorded my first guided meditation. I'd never done it before. And I realized as I did it, I was like, oh, I I am made to do these. Mm. Like all the work that I've done on dream interpretation has helped me understand what type of symbolic images to put into these experiences. Um, And what I realized is that's how I can use my voice in medicine space, which is like if you do a guided meditation, right, you bring someone into an altered state of consciousness and then I can use my voice to help them, you know, face things or heal certain things. And, uh, I can feel that it's going to be like a fundamental part of what I'm doing going forward with my work. And also, I still want to learn, like, like spring has just started and I can feel I want to go sing to plants, but I don't know any like <laughs> songs yet to sing and I don't have a great voice yet or a great singing voice. And um, I too, like, it's it's a primordial way it's a more fundamental way to transmit energy than speaking. And I love it and I want to get better at it. Yeah, me too. And I'm really excited to hear your meditations because you definitely, you have I'm, a very like deep, relaxing, your tone. I can, I can just, I know exactly this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be good. It's, uh, it's weird to, as an artist, to say that you're proud of what you've done or you, or that you believe that it's good. But I've seen the reaction it's had on like the eight people so far that I've shared it with. And there's seven of them. Like I fucking just, and they're all like half an hour long. And I'm fucking excited to get it out to the world. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's weird to feel good about what you make. I think it's, I mean, you made it. Like if you don't feel good about it and you're, sharing it out there then maybe make something different i don't know (laughs) i mean not usually usually it's a matter of allowing yourself i think to feel excited and good about it yeah i think about this quote that i love that i often offer to people when they're first starting out on the creative process and i forget who said it but it's something like um don't worry that what you're making when you first start is shit it should be shit And that means that you have good taste and it's your taste that's going to make you great because you're probably Hmm. not going to make something that you don't think is shit for 20 years, but that's exactly what will make you great. And so like, I try to hold those two things at the same time, like be humble, but also if you know that you crushed it, own it. Yeah. 
That's true. And I also think that it's very important to make a lot of shit because that's how 100%. you get to the next level 100%. of making something that's even doper. Yeah. Right. You can't just keep repeating the dopeness. I mean, you can, but you won't get to the next level of dopeness. I completely agree. And like, <laughs> you're only going to make dope shit if you allow yourself to make shit because I know so many people who are so gifted who haven't made any actual thing because of their quote unquote perfectionism. Mm -hmm. But perfectionism is what smart people call fear. And it's, it's fear. Make shit. It's probably true. Yeah, I agree. Everyone, everyone after, after this podcast, that'll, that'll be part of your homework. Yes. It's to go make, go make some shit. I'll give you, you can use two crayons that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and a piece of paper or a paper plate. And what's beautiful is like one of the things that I offer my friends when they're first starting to create whatever it is, is set an arbitrary constraint and create inside of that constraint to begin with. That's why a piece of paper is so fucking helpful. It implies a boundary. Two crayons. Done. Go make something. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that creativity needs it needs some kind of barrier right. for it to, to grow on or thrive on. Scaffolding. Do you have any other like tips or advice for people out there listening who want to get more in contact with their creative being? I would recommend that you start journaling every morning with the intention of telling yourself the truth and then asking that voice, what is one thing that I can do today to show you that I'm listening? Mm -hmm. And then have the courage to do that for a month and watch what the fuck happens. Don't lie. Do your best to tell the truth. And ask that thing, what is one thing that you can do today to show it that you are listening? And then just watch what the fuck happens. Like, especially if you are courageous and you have faith and you do it every day. It'll change your fucking life. I really like this idea of just one thing. Because I do think so many people have such a fear of taking that very first step. Yeah. And can it be such a small step? And there's a mythological motif that comes up in a lot of different cultures and fairy tales and myths. And it's the idea of the invisible path or the invisible bridge. And essentially, in all these stories, the way that you make it visible is you take the first step without being able to see it. And by taking the first step, you illuminate the bridge. You illuminate the path. But you got to take mm. that first step in faith. Because there's this other quote, I think it's by Rumi, and it's, um, if you take one step towards God, God will cross the universe to meet you. Like, and it's like the creation of Adam. If you extend your fucking finger one inch, that thing's going to make contact. And I get why people don't do it, because 
if you do it, you're probably going to have to transform your fucking life. And that's terrifying. What do you think people can do to get a little bit more excited about the fear? Read stories of people that inspire you so you can see how other humans have done it. That the life that you can feel there is a part of you that yearns for and dreams about, that you stifle down because you say it's not possible or it's not practical. There are armies of people in history whose life story prove that fear wrong that you have the ability to potentially create the most beautific dream that you've ever daydreamed about what your life could be if you were willing to do scary shit that that voice asked you to do. So to imagine into, like to fucking feel in your body what this future could be if you went, if you fucking went for it. And the other thing is like, for me, I've done enough psychedelics to basically, like, it's always on my mind on some level that I'm going to die. Like, I probably don't go a day without appreciating the fact that I'm not yet dead and that I am going to die. And I don't know if you get another chance. I don't know if it's all like, oh, my soul's come here a bunch of times. I don't know if that's true. You might only get one chance. And it's like, fucking go for it. What are you hedging your bets for? Like, it is a fact that you will die. I don't know what happens afterwards, but like, go do heroic shit just to see what happens if you do. You know? Yeah, I mean, in that way, I like to think of life as being kind of like an adventure game. It's like, I'm going to choose the fun adventure. 100%. Obviously. <laughs> 100%. Like, can you imagine if you got the most expensive and most complex video game ever made, and the way that you chose to play it is you stayed at the first level right near where you grew up, and you fucking chose to do something that you didn't want to do so that you could buy a piece of land inside of that place and you didn't explore the fucking thing. And yeah, also, and <laughs> I, like, what's worth offering is like, if your soul calls you to, to stay in a community, in the community that, well, so my intuition is that no soul ever was like, oh, this is where we're born. This is where we're staying. What likely will mm. happen is your soul will call you on an adventure and then will call you home. And then you bring what you learned on the adventure back home. And that adventure could be inward too. But like, not everyone has to go travel the world. Not everyone has to do any X. But each of us has a unique call that we know is there. Like I've never spoken to a person in my fucking life where I talked about this whisper, where they were like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact that the thousands of people that I've spoken this to directly, 
Not a single person has been like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That means that all of us are living with the experience of something that doesn't quite feel like us in our psyche, trying to point us towards a certain type of life. And we just like, yeah, that happens. Like, what the fuck is that? I think it's an angel. I know. It's like a... It's your daemon. <laughs> yeah. It's a... I, I have spoken with people who can only remember it from their childhood. Yeah. But it's still 100%. there. It's in your, your childhood. I, I encourage people a lot to go back and do what made them excited 100%. or... Yeah, interested in life. Like I said at the beginning, then. this idea of what is reality... Your past, your childhood is a part of the landscape of your experience of what you are right now. Like, it's a part of your reality. As long as you can experience it, it's not dead. Mm. You know? And so, it's still in you. Your daemon can't die. What part of what you're doing now did you see in your childhood self? Something that I loved as a child was this felt sense of growth. Like the way I would play every video game, I loved video games as a kid, is I would fucking grind at the first part of the thing to get super strong. And then I'd go out into the world. Um, I learned later that that was a coping strategy to not actually do hard things. But still, there's a fundamental part of my child in me that loves the felt sense of growing. Loves it. There was also this feeling, it's so funny, I had uh, one of the bathrooms in our house was a really small room where like four feet in front of the toilet was the like sink and the shelves underneath the sink. And what I would do is I would sit on the toilet. There were three tiers of shelves. I would open the bottom two all the way out. Then the ones above that, I would open two-thirds of the way out. And the ones on top of that, I would open like one-third of the way out. And I would imagine that I was like this mastermind behind a computer. And I was just doing all these things. And I could see all these things. And that feeling of like having the whole map in front of me and playing with it like a kid is one of my like deepest joys as a kid. And what's really interesting is it's something that I constantly am trying to do in my life is um, I have a program that I use. It's like a productivity program. And the main tab is called the King's View. And I'm constantly trying to like tinker with it, but I'm trying to represent like all the major areas in my life before me that I can look at at an eye's glance. And now that I think about it, I think I want to get a big ass TV for my office and and have it in such a way where I can sh look at the whole thing at one time because my computer screen is too small. But yeah, so it's it's really weird. But um, feeling like I'm growing in any area in my life feels like I'm tapping into that childhood energy, and then also like my love for productivity in a very specific way is actually very childlike. Um, so. I don't think I've ever told that story anywhere ever. So great question. Interesting. So, I have a question about this map thing yep. you're making. Is is this like a vision board type 
thing? No. Um, it's it's like I'm trying. It's like a map of my current life. Like I want to see all of the things, but also built into that map is where I'm trying to go. So like it's kind of a vision board, but it really is more like um, if I imagine my entire if I imagine everything that can be represented by my nervous system is like a piece of land with a castle on it, I'm trying to have this big board in the middle of my throne room that I can open this map and it shows the entire territory. Like, and like, I know it's changing. Like the energy is not, I'm trying to map it. So it's fixed. It's like, no, I'm trying to see what my kingdom is each day, like fully. And I can feel like, Wow. I don't think I've ever articulated that. That's cool. I like it. I, I kind of want to make one. I feel like I'm always trying to make something like this, but whenever I I do, it, I'm up taping papers together. Right. It's expanding across my wall. Right. <laughs> At some point, I'm just like, oh, never yeah, mind. <laughs> I totally feel you. <laughs> but maybe a digital version is better because you could zoom in and out, and then it's like you're at well, the I'm top of your it, castle. So. Okay. Well, that would be very cool if you, you know, kind of have some kind of a guide or something for how people can make one of those. Yeah, the Dharma Journal is really going to be the first step to that. Like, it's just going to be helping people begin to create this with their daily journal. And I'm going to make a much more robust course that will try to share everything that I could share on this topic. But as we were working on this first one, it was starting to get way too big and we're like, we don't understand this well enough to try to teach 12 parts. Let's just teach one part really well and we'll see where it mm-hmm. goes. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, I prefer that style of learning yeah. for sure. I think, I think people learn better that way. Instead of trying to, in the inner age of the internet and life these days, it's like we're constantly being thrown these way too much information at once you can't really get deep with 100 percent. i think one of the unique skills of our age that no other age has had to contend with is what's going to really separate the super successful from the not successful is what can you intelligently ignore and cut out like Mm -hmm. how can you simplify your life to the most useful streams of information instead of just drowning in the motherfucking chaos Yeah, that's true. It's yeah, more important than ever to to not care about certain yeah. pieces of information. Yep. There should be a new name for that skill. Expert in ignorance. <laughs> no, not ignorance. Yeah, it's conscience or conscious ignoring, but I I don't know what a good word is yet, but I'll think on it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw this word in the podcast whenever it, whenever it comes out. Perfect. I have a couple more questions for you. Um, what is the most unusual, either spiritual or self-care practice that you've ever tried? That I've ever tried or that I currently do? That you've ever tried. I don't know if it's the weirdest, but the one that feels like it's the most 
whatever is uh i've tried the sex magic thing where you imagine your ideal future while you're having an orgasm and like you imbue the energy of the orgasm inside of the vision and i for sure i've tried that do you have to get both people to do it at once i didn't and uh the reason I did it was it would probably have been better if I had got her on board, but um, it was because I was bored, to be honest. I was like, I could think of this. You know, like uh, when I was young and I was immature and I didn't know how to properly connect, I would sometimes think of other women while I was with a woman, and that's fucked, but I was young and stupid. Once I got to the point where I could feel how wrong that was, the next time I felt that I then tried to envision like my ideal future and tried to orgasm to that. But that's probably what it is. Interesting. Well, I mean, I guess that is better than being <laughs> bored or imagining some other person. Yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting circumstance to try it in though. Um, fascinating. Thank you for sharing You're that. Welcome. Um, so what, project are you currently most excited about either project or thing that you're learning i am committed i have been doing it for five or six days now to writing at least one true sentence for my book it probably won't be out for two or three years i don't even know what the name of it is but i have a idea of where i'm going and what i'm trying to tell and it's just at least one sentence a day and that's the thing i'm the most excited about that is a really cool approach to writing a book did you just did you make that up that idea? Um I think I'm implementing it in my life in a way that I didn't have to be taught, but I but like I've studied productivity and habit change for a long time and really it comes down to like what's the smallest unit of the thing you want to start doing that you can actually do every day start there. And there's also a quote by Hemingway, but it was like uh you write a book by writing one true sentence a day or some shit like that. Um, or just the quote is write one true sentence. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And basically what I do is, uh, after I journal, I set a timer for 25 minutes and I just think and work on the book. And sometimes I do more. Oftentimes I'll do more, but I'll at least do 25 minutes and I'm just going to try to do it every day until it's done. And it'll probably take years. I mean, I think that's really encouraging and, and a great idea too. Um, I might try that. We'll see. I have about 20 different books I've thought I was going to write. <laughs> <laughs> like a true creative person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. more of a, I'm a mini book person, I think. I'm calling them. But anyways. <laughs> um, so describe your relationship with yourself. My relationship with myself is... Um, almost like a compassionate zookeeper to a monkey. And that uh, a part of me, like, I just have this fundamental compassion for the part of me that's an evolved animal and just have a really basic understanding of like how that animal has been programmed to be. And mm -hmm. I also have this part that like the caretaker of or the zookeeper is like a king and like a father to this animal and it's like i see you i love you i take care of you and i also will challenge you to be better um 
and like I have such a good relationship with myself that it makes me feel um, self-conscious explaining it because it hmm. it feels like it's either going to make people feel bad or people will think that I'm lying. And I can't control either of those. But it's my truth that like I almost never experience an inner critic, like that inner voice, because I have a fundamental compassion and understanding for my evolved nature. It's just like, oh, okay. You feel angry right now because that person gave that person a drink before you. You're a fucking monkey. And and it's okay. And it's not appropriate to treat that person poorly. Be, you know, like, it's this constant. Yeah. It's just like a fundamental compassion and self-love and self-respect that I've cultivated by constantly doing hard shit that I know is right by trying to tell the truth as much as I possibly can to treat people like they're autonomous kings and queens and to work hard and to try to make the world better. Um, my relationship to myself feels healthy and clean and it's something that I want to try to show other people how to get. I think that's really genius, the way that you fully accept that animal part. If I were to see one thing missing from a lot of people, I think it might be that. I think people often go to war with the animal. It's like the worst thing to do. And the thing that I feel called to articulate is it's like the reason I'm able to have so much compassion for my animal is because I haven't been dramatically traumatized as a child over and over and over again where my animal learned that in order to survive it had to do outrageous things like Mm. i understand that a part of my like is privilege you know like i grew up a like a white male in america that was quote unquote handsome that was athletic that was tall like i got treated well in such a way where my animal is way easier to handle. Like, I still have my own shit, but um, it's also privilege, too. Yeah, thank you for adding that in, too. I think I appreciate that. I feel like other people will, too. And my last question, sort of a question, sort of a prompt here. Uh, You are in charge of leaving the listeners with a weekly challenge. This is in addition to the two crayons in the paper plate or piece of paper. I invite you first thing in the morning to either write or type stream of consciousness for 10 or 20 minutes, whatever is on your mind. Don't judge it. Don't reread it. Just allow yourself to talk or to think really. And then to end it, with one question, which is what can I do today to show the whisper inside of me that I am listening and then do it. I love that. Thank you. And as you guys have probably heard over the last couple of weeks, 
Uh, I want to hear from you, and I want to hear how you guys are experiencing these weekly challenges. So if a crazy story happens in your life, or you have an experience, or you just like to share what happened, please send me an email, find me anywhere on the internet, and I'm going to be including people's reactions and responses to the weekly challenge in an upcoming episode. Thank you so much, Eric, for your time. I, I really appreciate this chance to speak with you. Um, this has been crazy, actually, after like having listened to so many of your own podcasts for so long. Um, I'm just so grateful. Yeah, the thing that I want to share with your audience is the reason I said yes was the quality of the email that you sent. And like the people that you admire, most of them, no matter how big you think they are, they read their emails. They I just don't respond to almost any of them because I just can't. But your email showed how sincere you were, but also that you fucking understood my shit. Like, I don't think a lot of people really see what I'm trying to say, and that's a part of me just constantly trying to more deeply uh, articulate it. But you had the courage or the faith to even send the email. And for whatever reason, I read it and it was a fuck yes. And so this is an invitation to your listeners, like, send the fucking email. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. Thank you for adding that in, too. And thank you for having me on. Uh, you're a great interviewer in the sense that, like, you ask sincere questions and I can tell that you're listening. There's a lot of people that podcast just so they can talk as the host. And mm. I actually get the feedback from my audience that they wish I would talk more, but... I love the art of listening and drawing out what the other person has to say. And you did a great job with that. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That is definitely my goal. Um, I may have some solo podcasts, but for the most part, space is for the guest. 